Welcome back to Attorney Time, the legal podcast for the business-minded, hosted by attorneys at the law firm Holly Troxel. Attorney Time brings legal expertise to you. In each episode, Holly Troxel's team of experienced attorneys will cover a broad range of legal topics, from intellectual property and patents to tips for startup companies. Hello and welcome to Attorney Time. This is the Holly Troxel podcast. My name is Brad Fraser. I'm a partner at Holly Troxel. I've been here since 2007. I practice intellectual property, information technology, and internet law. And as a natural evolution of those practice areas, I now practice privacy and data security. Anybody who's listening to this episode of Attorney Time knows that data breach and hacks and incursions are all the rage. And you'd be unusual if you'd never been hacked, if you've never had your personal information compromised and now available for sale on the dark web uh, somewhere for a Belarusian hacker to get your social security number, your email address, or your other personal information. Target has been famously hacked. Equifax has been famously hacked. T-Mobile has been famously hacked. Several celebrities' iPhones were famously hacked. And I would bet you lunch that you have been hacked, whether you know it or not. In fact, as you probably will know, and I'm sure as we'll discuss today, if you were to go out onto the dark web and do a search, you'd find your social security number available for sale for $12.95. That seems to be the going rate for a PII packet on the dark web, $12.95 to get your information and apply for a credit card or a loan using your personal information. So what can we do? What can we do? You know, my I have espoused for a long time that hacks continue and there's nothing that really can be done. How many billions of dollars have been spent in the past 20 years on consultants and analysts and, and patches and pen, penetration testing? Billions of dollars and yet hacks continue. Hacks continue even today. So my good friend and law partner, Tyler Anderson, who goes by Ty, is here with me today to talk about some best practices that you might think about employing in your personal life and in your practice and in your business to help mitigate the costs of a data breach. Because it's not if you're going to get hacked, it's when you're going to get hacked. And I think, Ty, you and I both know that to be a truism, right? Would you agree with me, Ty, that it's not if, it's when? Completely, Brad. Uh, in, in terms of just the the numbers, if you look at the data, um, just, just pulling information for this podcast, payments are up, according to the Ransomware Task Force Institute, um, of 300% in 2020. And the trend continues upward. Uh, some are citing the pandemic as, as a reason for that. But I would completely agree that it's not a question of if, it's, uh, you know, it, you're going to get hacked. You know, that's right, Ty. And, and so I get frustrated because a lot of people try to take this proactive approach and they say, we're going to inoculate our enterprise against a hack. And, and you and I just laugh, Ty. And so from, from my perspective as an information technology lawyer, I, I say to them, let's proactively anticipate a hack and think about some things you can do on the front end to kind of mitigate those costs. But, but Ty, you're a, a first chair trial litigator. You're, you're a litigation attorney. And so when people come to you, Ty, they've probably already been hacked. And they're going to say, Ty, we've been hacked. We've been named as a defendant in a data breach lawsuit. Ty, help us. Do we have insurance? What do we do? Ty, so let's, let's hypothetically put you through that scenario. Client calls you and says, you know, it's 7 a.m. on a Monday morning. Ty, I got a call Sunday from my IT manager. We've had a hack. 40,000 personally identifiable records have been compromised. And, and Ty, what's the first thing we do? What's the first thing out of Ty Anderson's mouth when you consult a client like that? Do you have insurance? And, and you know, why, why would you say that? Why wouldn't you say, call the FBI or call your IT guy or call your consultant? Or why do you, like I say, and, that you're, and that's exactly what I say, Ty. Why do you say now, do you have insurance? 
first off, you need expertise. You And your insurance carrier, if you have the right type of coverage, is going to be the direct line to the expertise that you need and need it now. Uh, you can't afford to wait. Uh, you have a, a gaping hole in your system, so to speak, that needs to be repaired. So the first thing you're going to need is the, the technical competence of someone who can get in there and understand what happened to your system and take the measures to repair it. Now, the other thing that you're going to need is you're going to need legal counsel. Uh, you're going to have to potentially give notice to impacted customers or folks in your, in your database that you maintain their protected information, their confidential information. Those are f disclosures that you're going to need to navigate. You're going to need help. And so there's going to be a process, and, and priority one is going to be restoring your system and getting it working and secure and getting it repaired. And in my experience for the matters that I've handled mm -hmm. for clients, including major re online retailers, mm -hmm. they need that, that, that help immediately. And so that's why I would say, you know, the FBI is not going to be able to do much for you right now. So Ty, why do they need a lawyer if they haven't been sued yet? Well, the first, first step really is you're going to need to be prepared uh, for the prospect of having a lawsuit brought against you. So that's step one. Uh, a data breach, you can you can anticipate some form of litigation. You can anticipate some form of regulatory investigation that may lead to penalties or fines. And so you're going to need representation from that perspective right off the bat. Um, so that, that would be, uh, although lawsuits aren't going to be imminent likely, but you're going to need help navigating disclosure, and navigating adequacy of disclosure. And just for example, Brad, in, in 2018, the SEC issued guidance on how to make adequate disclosures and they aimed at publicly traded companies to m make sure that they don't run afoul of securities laws. But the SEC, right there in the, the opening of the guidance, cybersecurity risks pose grave threats to investors, our capital market, and our country. Yeah, And so from that perspective, the disclosures that you're going to have to make are going to have to meet certain standards, and you're going to need legal help to navigate those waters. You know, strongly agree, Ty. Um, let's talk a little bit more about disclosure. Some of our listeners may not fully appreciate that. Here is my favorite way to discuss this issue. If Bridgestone sells a bunch of defective tires, Bridgestone is not required, unless there's a recall, to tell the public about the defective tires. The only way, Ty, and you know this is a litigator, the only way that's going to come out is if a lot of tires start exploding and people start dying and Bridgestone gets sued. Data breach is different, right? Because the moment there's a breach, Ty, what obligation does the victim of the hack have to those individuals whose data has been compromised? What's that obligation? Well, your obligation is to, at some form, and, and, and as you can imagine as a business owner, the first question is, do I? have to make a disclosure? The answer is yes. Right. And then the next question is, well, how much do I have to disclose? And that's kind of where the art and science lies with respect to complying with the law. Right. And so, so to answer your question, you're going to have to make the disclosure. And who better to tell you how and when than a lawyer? Because each, each state, as you know, has a different data breach disclosure law. There's not a federal overarching data breach disclosure law, Ty. So a client calls you and says, Ty, I have affected I have affected records in 13 states. Who's going to advise me on what the data breach reporting obligation is in Kansas or Texas or Vermont? With due respect to our listeners, I think you need a lawyer to help you with that. 
and Ty's going to jump in in a minute. And the principal reason is because Ty answers his phone at seven o'clock on a Monday morning. Your insurance agent will not. Trust me on this. <laughs> and so, and moreover, Ty, in your experience, Ty, how quickly does an insurance company respond? Don't they investigate to see if there's coverage? Isn't there maybe a little bit of delay? Talk about that. Yeah, let, let, let's do talk about that. In your typical example, let's just take uh, a commercial general liability policy. Uh, you, you have a duty to inform your insurance company of any potential claim. And if you don't, same with a cyber policy, you may lose your coverage. So you can't bury your head in the sand with respect to any insurance because there's policies in each or provisions in each of your policies that say you need to make your insurance company aware. And so from that perspective, going back, you're right. There's going to be an investigation on whether there's coverage and determining the amount of the loss, the, all of those things that happen and come into play. What interests me the most about cyber policies is my experience and perhaps uh, there are there are horror stories out there to be had. The cyber policies I've had much better experience helping the clients through and getting prompt and responsive information because they understand that time is of the essence, and this is not a situation where thirty days can go by and we'll determine whether or not you know the water that leaked through the roof is somehow going to be covering right. the damage that happened to right. fill in the blank. That's a good point, and so so. And, and to your point about the multi-state facet and all of the other issues, that's the other reason why getting this type of coverage will put you into contact with experts like the forensic recovery services, but also counsel to help navigate the waters with respect to all of the different states' disclosure requirements. And so going back to your question, a typical insurance claim is going to move a lot slower. Right. And it's ironic to me that that I've seen some of these um, claims go into the tens of millions of dollars by the time it's all said and done. And there are charges that come out of the woodwork from everywhere. There's a, there's a P.F. Chang's case in, in, from 2016 in Arizona where they litigated coverage under a cyber policy having to do with charges that were unexpected on the back end and ultimately not covered. But you can bet that these claims are expensive. Mm -hmm. And the irony for me is that although they are expensive, the, the coverage and the uh, response seems to be a lot more prompt given that these carriers that offer these policies and specialty lines know what they're dealing with. Uh, you know, that's great news for our listeners because historically their experience with an insurance company might be what you've described. A lot of delay, a lot of obfuscation, a lot of effort to avoid the claim. So I think what you've just said, Ty, has given our listeners a little bit of hope. So without putting you on the spot, I'm going to ask you, Ty, to think about some of the exclusions that you've seen in cyber policies. I'll mention one that I'm familiar with, and then Ty, I'll ask you to maybe tell me your favorite worst exclusion that you've seen in a cyber policy. And, and let's remember, remind our listeners, our theme today is mitigating the costs of a data breach, not avoiding a data breach because you can't. What we want you to do, and I'll ask Ty to comment on this, is think like a defendant. Think about you're going to get sued. And think about how to proactively mitigate those costs. The first thing Ty and I have identified is get good cyber liability insurance. Well, a policy is really only as good as the exclusions, quite frankly. Worst one I ever saw, buried on page 37 of this 50-page cyber liability insurance policy was, in fine print, it said, we do not provide coverage for events related to ransomware attacks. It literally said that directly in the policy language ties an exclusion. And how many cyber attacks these days are ransomware? Most, right? Right. So that's the worst one I saw. Tell me the worst exclusion you've seen, Ty. Well, 
to your point, if you get a cyber policy that's specifically directed to, to this type of coverage, then you're right. You're going to want to look at the exclusions because broadly read, an insurance policy has an insuring agreement that we agree to pay those sums, blah, 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 blah. And then you have the exclusions. And, and you're right. That's where the activity is. So if you were to take, I wouldn't be surprised at all this day and age to see a commercial general liability policy exclude cyber attacks, ransomware. And, and I totally agree with you that the ransomware is, is, is the big ticket item, the, the primary uh, culprit here. But in terms of just looking at the exclusions that would be in a cyber policy, it's what you'd kind of expect. Um, if you had, if you knew or had reason to know of a breach, in other words, you kind of thought there might be something up mm-hmm. and yeah. you, know, you got the policy anyway, things like that. Right. There's also, you know, other exclusions that, um, acts of war, just, just really run of the mill. So in terms of, you know, I, what I've encountered, I haven't seen anything that's extreme to, to your point that would just essentially grant coverage and then take it right away. <laughs> take it away. Right. Um, yeah. But from an exclusion perspective, you're right, and that's how that's how there's well-worn Idaho Supreme Court case law that says when you interpret a policy, you look first to the insuring agreement language, and then look at the exclusions, right, and see what's granted and then what's taken away, right. And there's a temptation, and there's a good case that talks about the idea that you can't sort of back your way into coverage by looking at what's excluded and saying, well, everything else must be included, and so. That's where the, the courts come down and say, no, right. let's look at what was granted and then let's p- pick it apart in terms of what was taken away. Do, do our listeners need to hire a lawyer before they buy cyber liability insurance? I mean, it's a big, thick document, Ty. Wouldn't, wouldn't you want your clients to have you put eyes on it before they spend you know, $100,000 in a premium for a cyber policy? I would think they want to yeah. only because it's still... Uh, you know, going back to 2016, that's when folks really started to understand that these breaches are real and insurance got on the map. Right. And over the past four or five years, the, the significance and frequency of, of data security breaches has only increased. Right. And so unlike a commercial general liability policy, and I keep defaulting to those because that's what typically businesses would have. Right. Um, they may have D&O coverage or professional liability coverage, but most, you know, call it a construction company, you name it, mm-hmm. that's going to be your primary policy. And there's been so much litigation on what's covered and what's not covered. And the insurance services office literally has a form that is pre-printed with the language. And we actually have in our library binders of, uh, of a service that goes through line by line of these policies and catalogs cases across mm-hmm. the country mm-hmm. that interpret it. But where cyber policy uh, insurance law is not as well developed, you're going to want to have somebody look at it with expertise to help you understand. because And they read a little differently from a commercial general liability policy because they have specific grants of coverage for specific types of incidents. And so it's not just a, we agree to pay those sums that you become legally obligated to pay because of bodily injury or property damage. That's, right. That's li- probably a verbatim quote right. of a CGL insurance uh, insuring clause. And if you were to look at it, the first time I looked at a, at a cyber policy, I kind of went, I got to read this a little differently from what I'm used to because there are specific insuring clause agreements to grant coverage for specific incidents. And it's not one size fits all. And then of right. course you have to go back and then look at the exclusions to see what has been taken away uh, out of the coverage. You know, that's great. Um, again, uh, just uh, to remind our listeners, this is 
Brad Fraser. I'm here with Ty Anderson. We're talking about mitigating the costs of a data breach here in the Holly Troxel podcast, Attorney Time. Ty is a litigator, and I practice data privacy and security law. We're talking about mitigating those costs. So far, we've talked about how you really can't avoid a breach. It's almost inevitable, so you might as well prepare for it. We've talked about getting good cyber liability insurance, reading the exclusions, hiring somebody like Ty to read the policy before you write that premium check. But Ty, let's let's switch gears a little bit now and talk more generally. You are an experienced litigator. Someone has called you and said they're anticipating a lawsuit. Ty, how do you tell them to think like a defendant? What what are just what's good general counsel to somebody who is they're going to get sued for data breach? Our our listeners are going to get sued for data breach at some point. I believe that. I've seen it every day. So Ty, how do, how does how do our listeners how do they learn to think like a defendant in light of a, the inevitability inevitability of a data breach lawsuit? Well, I think the first temptation for folks when they're in that position, especially you know proactive business owners, they want to do something now, and there's a, there's a temptation to want to send a bunch of emails or do a bunch of things that create a record of exactly what's going on. Right. And so I would suggest that the first thing that you do is slow down and rethink sending that email, rethink documenting whatever it is that you feel like you need to document now that maybe you don't. And now that you've called your lawyer, hopefully your lawyer's told you that you have an attorney-client privilege. And right. That privilege will be able to allow you to have candid discussions with your counsel about how to handle the situation. Because if you're thinking like a defendant, you maybe are concerned uh, about what could happen. And the attorney-client privilege is a way to have frank, open communication with your attorney about the concerns that you have without fear that those concerns are going to be broadcast or, or come back to haunt you. And so what I typically see uh, defending folks is that very early on somebody sent an email that they regretted or somebody has done something that had they had slowed down and talked with their attorney the attorney could have said there's a different way to handle that there's a different way to go about resolving that issue or frankly I don't see that share your same concern right and so I think preparing for any lawsuit and especially something uh, like a data breach is there's a temptation like I started to want to fix it and do it now, but it's going to take time right. in order to do it right. We, we don't want to make it easier for those plaintiff's lawyers to prove their case. And so if we think like a defendant from the beginning and they consult with you, establish the privilege, and they don't, they stop sending out inflammatory, uh, uh, inculpating emails, <laughs> I think that's the opposite of exculpating, inculpating emails, it will make it harder for the plaintiffs to prove those cases. Because remember, our theme today is mitigating the cost of a data breach. And if you can make it harder for the plaintiff's counsel in that class action lawsuit to prove a case against you when you've experienced a data breach, it's going to help mitigate your costs. But to that point, Ty, what types of things give rise to data breach lawsuits? Is it a special data breach lawsuit? What types of things, are, in your experience, are giving rise to the data breach lawsuits? Are they breach of contract? Is it negligence? What is it, Ty? Well, it's, I mean, really at its core is it's the leak of protected information that may cause financial damage or credit. But what uh, establishes that duty to that plaintiff? How does the plaintiff, to use the lawyer word, how does the plaintiff have standing to sue sure. a tire company because they got hacked and my PII got compromised? Where's the standing tie? I don't see it. Well, sometimes it's buried in your agreement, uh, somewhere on page 37 right. of 107. <laughs> right. Um, other times, it's just a general duty under the law as, as far as it could be something as simple as negligence. 
Um, the one of the things that we're seeing in litigation, in particular, is a lot of activity with respect to how proactive boards are with respect to maintaining their data systems. Mm -hmm. And when you get into, for example, common type of case is an investor bringing a securities fraud claim saying either A, you misrepresented the, you know, how robust your system was or, or B, you turned a blind eye to the issue. Your competitors were getting hacked left and right and you didn't do anything about it. And therefore, you know, you were asleep at the switch and you, were negligent or you did something that fell below the appropriate standard of care or it was fraudulent uh, in a security setting. So right, right. You know, it sounds, Ty, like then as we're developing our list for our listeners of ways to mitigate the cost of a data breach, we could say, as we're expanding our list of think like a defendant, we could say, don't be negligent. And so you might say, well, how do I not be negligent? Well, let's think about that, Ty. How does a defendant in a data breach case not be negligent? Here's what I would say. Apply patches to your servers. Teach your employees on phishing exploits. Teach your employees not to click on links. Have a warning on your emails that says, warning, this, this arises from an external source. Ty, what other ways do you think a person could not be negligent in this realm? I think that's a great question, and one of the things that's hot off the press is that, um, you know, it's practicing good password hygiene in terms of making sure that you're you're resetting your passwords on appropriate intervals and having checks and balances to not allow the same passwords that are probably out on the dark web to be reused. Uh, the other interesting uh, development is just yesterday there was an industry article that insurers are likely to start requiring multi-factor authorization to even get a policy. Right. Beautiful. And yeah. so you can, you know, and of course, you know, whether you have a policy or not, that's just good practice. Right. So when you're defending uh, that person who's been, who suffered a data breach, and in that defense, your client's able to say, yes, we applied patches. Yes, we used good password hygiene. Yes, we had training on phishing. Yes, we have a CISO, Chief Information Security Officer. Yes, we have a CTO. Yes, everybody, yes. You know, it's a lot harder for that plaintiff to, to prove that negligence case, and that's going to help the damages case, I think, Ty, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Okay. And, and, and the inverse of that could also be true. The more that the information is put in the face of leadership and they fail to do anything about right. it, and they're told um, by, they hire a consultant that says, for example, everything that you're talking about, Brad, and they decide, they document in an internal memo, that's just too expensive, it's not worth our time. <laughs> Well, right. That's the kind of thing that, <laughs> that would be a bad piece of evidence. <laughs> and, and it's the kind of evidence that could lead to punitive damages. Right. When you're you're aware of a problem, it's a systemic problem. And like, as I alluded to before, you, your competitors are facing the same problems. It's right out in front of you and you do nothing about it. That's the kind of thing that leads to uh, damages that are not only just to c- compensate the plaintiff, but to punish you as a defendant. Very good. You know, it's it's hard to not be negligent, but I, I think if you follow Ty's counsel, uh, our listeners will at least be in a better position to defend themselves when that negligence lawsuit. I mentioned earlier, Ty, another type of cause of action that's very prominent in these data breach cases, a simple old breach of contract. So let's ask the rhetorical question, where's the contract? A, a plaintiff whose information has been compromised Sue's a defendant for breach of contract. And our listeners might say, well, where's the contract? Ty, you know the answer, but I'll just tell everybody because we're getting a little bit short on time. It's that website privacy policy. 
your I'll bet you lunch that your website privacy policy, when I say your, I mean our listeners, not Ty, your website privacy policy says something like, we'll use best efforts to protect your personal information. Well, guess what? When you've been hacked, you're setting yourself up because you made a warranty, a warranty in your privacy policy that constitutes breach of contract because you didn't use best efforts. You didn't apply that patch. So what I'm advising some of my clients, Ty, in addition to sort of proofing yourself against negligence claims is proof yourself against a breach of contract lawsuit, or at least help Ty defend you by going out and reading your privacy policies, read your non-disclosure agreements, and make sure you're not over-promising. Because if you promise too much and you create these warranties, these covenants, then that plaintiff's class action lawyer is going to find that and add that to the count. In addition to account for negligence, we're going to see account for breach of contract, account for fraud, account for a securities violation, account for a HIPAA violation. You know, the list goes on and on, Ty, of all the different causes of action. Absolutely. And one one thing I'd add on that is that we saw this in, in just in general you know, in the pandemic where people were making statements, we'll do our best to protect you. Right. Well, that's that's an undertaking that you <laughs> don't want to have. <laughs> no, sir. Because there's there's a concept in tort law called assumption of duty. And if you assume a duty of care by making representations like the kind you're talking about, then you could be held to the standard you set for yourself. Right. And so if you, in addition to make a warranty, you may have assumed a duty that you didn't otherwise have. Beautiful. Yeah. So, you know, I hopefully, I think we're just about out of time here, Ty, but hopefully our listeners have taken away a few good points. Let's maybe just pause for a minute and summarize. We've been talking today with Ty Anderson, a partner at Holly Troxell, and I'm Brad Fraser about mitigating the costs that you might expect to have if you have a data breach. We've talked about thinking proactively, thinking like a defendant. We've talked about thinking ways to avoid negligence. We've talked about getting good cyber liability insurance and letting somebody, an expert like Ty, take a look at it before you pay that premium. Read the exclusions. Read your privacy policies. Read your non-disclosure agreements. Think proactively. Don't be negligent. You know, I think Ty and I are agreed that you can't avoid a lawsuit like this if you have a breach. You just simply can't avoid it. Everybody's free to sue. This is America. But what we want you to do is when you have somebody like Ty defending you, give Ty a chance to defend you. Have some insurance in place. Don't be negligent. Don't overpromise in your contracts. Ty, what else can they do to help your job as a defense lawyer be easier when they have that data breach lawsuit? I think you've summed it up well. I think one thing I'd like to leave our listeners with is just think through if your business model requires this type of an analysis. And if you have a website or social media presence, you need to be thinking about these things. You know, the way I say it, Ty, and you're right, if, if you have a computer connected to the internet somewhere in your business, you're exposed to this risk. <laughs> I mean, you just are. I was, as I was getting ready for this, I was thinking of, you know, maybe it's the, the hot dog person downtown that operates on cash only. Right. Uh, but other than that, I couldn't come up with a great example of, of who could avoid these risks. Ty, I talked to a consultant the other day. He's an IT consultant. None of his computers are connected to the internet. Everything he has is air-gapped, and he stores all of his data in his own personal server. Two petabytes of personal data that he has on his customers all air-gapped and not connected to the internet. I, I went and shook his hand because I said, you know what, sir? You are the example. <laughs> you are my shining example of the guy who's almost hack-proof until somebody sticks a flash drive in, right? Right. Until somebody sticks a flash drive in. Well, uh, listeners, thank you so much for your attention today. Let me again encourage you to reach out to my law partner, Ty, Tyler Anderson here at Holly Troxel. Uh, if you have questions about best preparing yourself to defend a data breach lawsuit and mitigating these costs, 
thinking about cyber liability insurance, helping uh, look at those exclusions, ties your man. And I'm Brad Fraser. Let me help you with website privacy policies, internet law, and other issues that might arise in a data breach setting. We thank you for your attention today, and please tune in again to the next Attorney Time presentation here on the Holly Troxel Podcast. 